0: Uh, reflecting a little bit of where we are right now in terms of our story of faith. Uh, Last week, um, we'll shoot up on the screen uh, today's slide, um, but Andrew Stoff, Pastor Andrew, addressed the issue of external obstacles to our journey of faith. And uh, in that story that uh, Andrew was referring to was the river that was before the people. That was a huge obstacle that they had to pass through put their feet in the water and then there was the walls of jericho and god broke through by faith Uh, i think faith is giving god the right to demonstrate his power we allow him to manifest his glory and power Uh, many years ago there was a a hymn that was written that goes something like this got any rivers you think are uncrossable anybody remember this one Got any mountains you can't tunnel through? God specialises in things thought impossible. He does the things others just cannot do. Great song, hey, great lyrics. And God demonstrates his power. And so when we step out by faith, God is released to do what only he can do in impossible situations. So by faith, the walls came down. Incredible miracle. It wasn't a military strategy. It was God showing the people his might and his power. Today, we're going to be looking at the subject of overcoming internal um, obstacles. So there, there is the external. We face those uh, battles uh, externally with, with lots of challenges in life, but more often than not, those challenges begin from within. And the Bible says in the book of Proverbs, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. What is inside your heart will come out of your life. In fact, Jesus said that. It's not what goes in that defiles you. It's what comes out. It's what's resident inside of your heart. And uh, in Joshua chapter 7, we've got the story of a guy called Achan who disobeyed the directive that came from God. And here was the directive in chapter 6 of Joshua. But keep away from the devoted things so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, you will make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. All the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into his treasury. That was chapter 6. So when they went into Jericho, that was the command. But there's this guy called Achan who had a problem in his heart. And we're going to read the story of uh, Joshua 7. So if you've got your Bibles with you, I thought it would be good for us to read the text. It's, It's a sad text in many ways, but it's so many lessons for us to learn from it. So Joshua chapter 7. But the Israelites acted unfaithfully in regard to the devoted things. Achan, the son of Kami, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of them. So the Lord's anger burned against Israel. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth-Avon, to the east of Bethel. And he told them, go up and spy out the region. So the men went up and spied out Ai. When they returned to Joshua, they said, not all the people have to go up against Ai, since two or 3,000 men to take it, and do not weary all the people for only a few men there. So about 3,000 men went up, and they were routed by the men of Ai, who killed about 36 of them. They chased the Israelites from the city gate as far as the stone quarries and struck them down on the slopes. At this, the hearts of the people melted and became like water. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell face down to the ground before the ark of the Lord remaining there till evening. And the elders of Israel did the same and sprinkled dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Our sovereign Lord, why did you ever bring this people across the Jordan to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites, to destroy us? If only we had been content to stand the other side of the Jordan. O Lord, what can I say now that Israel has been routed by its enemies? The Canaanites and all the other people of the country will hear about this and they will surround us and they will wipe out our name from the earth. What then will you do for your own great name? The Lord said to Joshua, stand up. What are you doing down on your face? Israel has sinned. They have violated my commandment which I commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen, they have lied, they have put them in their own, with their own possessions. That is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They turn their backs and run because they have been made liable to destruction. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to, de- to a destruction. Go. Consecrate the people. Tell them, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says, that which is devoted among you, O Israel, you cannot stand against your enemies until you remove it. In the morning, present yourselves tribe by tribe. The tribe that the Lord takes shall come forward, clan by clan the clan the lord takes shall come forward family by family and the family that the lord takes shall come forward man by man he who is caught with the devoted things shall be destroyed by fire along with all that belongs to him he has violated the covenant of the lord and has done a disgraceful thing in israel early next morning joshua had israel come forward by tribes and judah was taken The clans of Judah came forward and he took the Zerahites. He had the clan of the Zerahites come forward by families. And Zimri was taken. Joshua had his family come forward man by man. And Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah of the tribe of uh, Judah, was taken. Then Joshua said to Achan, my son, give glory to the Lord the God of Israel, give him the praise. Tell me, what have you done? Do not hide it from me. And Cam replied, it's true. It's absolutely true. I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what I've done. When I saw the plunder, a beautiful robe uh, from Babylon, 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them, and I took them. They are hidden in the ground inside my tent with the silver underneath. So Joshua sent messages, and they ran to his tent, and there it was, hidden in the tent with the silver underneath. They took the things from the tent, brought them to Joshua and all all the Israelites, and they spread them out before the Lord. Then Joshua, together with all of Israel, took Achan, son of Zeroth, the silver, the robe, and the gold wedge, his sons and his daughters, his cattle, his donkeys and his sheep, his tent and all all that he had to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, Why have you brought this trouble upon us? The Lord will bring trouble on you today. Then all Israel stoned him, And after they had stern the rest, they burned them. And over Achan, they heaped up a large pile of rocks, which remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his fierce anger. Therefore, that place has been called the Valley of Achor ever since. Very sobering story, how God feels about wrongdoing. So I'd like to pray now that God would really help us and and journey well with him. And uh, that today, if there's anything hidden in our hearts, we also can do business with him and find grace and mercy in our time of need. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the mercy of God. But we also know the justice of God is very real. And we know that one day we will all give an account before you. We thank you that Jesus' blood has been, has been paid on our behalf. We thank you that those who've repented of their sin are reconciled to God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for bearing my sin in your body on the tree. It is my prayer, Lord, if there's anyone today within, within uh, our fellowship here, our family and beyond, that needs to face up to some things, some struggles, some heartaches, some stuff from the past, I ask, Lord, that you'll help us to be courageous to confront the issues and to celebrate forgiveness that comes through repentance. Open our eyes, Lord, and help us to see Jesus together. As we share together in communion, we can celebrate the wonder of forgiveness. Speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 The nation has been gripped uh, this last 18 days with the the abduction of uh, a four-year-old girl called Cleo Smith, uh, missing for 18 days. No one really knew where she was as, uh, her, as she was taken from the tent and uh, actually taken 75 kilometers away to a place called Carnarvon. And so the nation has been gripped by the story. But there was great joy when the police found Cleo at 1 AM on Wednesday morning this last week. And we have looked with wonder, why would anyone do such a thing? What's going on here uh, that uh, someone would abduct a little girl like that? For that person, the alleged person, there's some stuff going on in his heart and life. It drove him to do that and a few things are starting to pop up that explain something of his brokenness and what's going on in his life. Justice will be executed and a price will be paid for wrongdoing. Achan himself was part of the tribe of Judah and he had a problem in his heart. We all have a problem in our heart. We all have sinned. We all have fallen short of God's glory. And we need to deal with those issues and call them out for what they are. A.W. Tozer was... um, a godly Christian pastor who wrote uh, out seven diagnostic questions uh, that we might be able to understand a little bit what makes us tick. I don't know about you, but sometimes I get this sense within me, why do I want to do such a thing? Do you ever get that? Why would I even think such a thing? And it troubles me about my own sinful heart as well and how much I need Jesus to come and and dwell and fill up my life with purity. But the uh, seven questions that Tozer wrote down as a kind of a diagnostic tool for us to check our hearts. Firstly, what do we want most? What is it that we crave for? That's a good question, isn't it? Somehow within us there are these things that we actually want. We don't always need them, but we crave for those things. What do we think about most? What occupies our thoughts? That's a good question to ask. Why is it that I'm contemplating and thinking about this all the time? It's just rolling around in my head. Number three, how do I use my money? Where am I spending my resources? What's consuming my my finances? Number four, what do we do with our leisure time? It's a good indication of what's going on from within. Where does my passion lie? Number five, what company do we enjoy? And that's including electronic company as well, the movies, the things that we watch, and so on. Number six, Human, what do we admire most? Who do we lift up on a pedestal? The people that we would actually love to be like. And seventhly, which was an interesting one for me, is what do we laugh at? And uh, that's an interesting question to ask ourselves as we do a little bit of self-reflection and diagnose what's going on inside of me, in my heart. Jesus said, for where your treasure is, there, that's where your heart will be your saved. In Joshua chapter 7, verses 20 to 21, we find the story of Achan. This is what he said. It is true. I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what I've done when I saw uh, the plunder, a beautiful robe from Babylon, 200 shekels of silver, a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels. I coveted them and I took them. This uh, is an interesting problem, isn't it, covetousness. I think our advertising industry makes an appeal to the human spirit that you can get more. You actually, you're not... You need actually that, don't you? It's almost stirring up a spirit within us in consumerism and Christmas is coming and we're just going to be flooded with so much advertising so that we might covet things. It's not necessarily what we need, it's actually oftentimes what we want and coveting is to strongly desire what belongs to another. We don't have it but we want it, it's to me. It's interesting that ten, the 10th commandment, the final commandment of the 10th commandment says you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbour's, um, what does it say? Wife. Wife, thanks so much. Uh, or his maidservant or his manservant, his dox, ox, <laughs> his donkey, his commodore or Mercedes or anything that belongs to your neighbour. We can make it a kind of a 21st century sort of analogy. And it's always the the next thing, you know, it's this covetous spirit that our culture imbibes within us. And so um, God gives some very clear requirements about what's expected of us. There's something about contentment, isn't there? Godliness with contentment is of great gain. I learned that in the islands, you know, often uh, I took lots and lots of young people to the islands. And you go to a village and there's no running water. Uh, There's a few chooks running around and that's dinner. You know, it's just, uh, I know there's a lot of hardship in those spaces and places, but there was contentment. But when we brought them to Australia, it actually aroused in them, showed them something a little bit more than what they had. And some of our Solomon Island teams struggled with covetousness. It had the reverse impact of our teams going to the islands because they wanted contentment. It's an interesting uh, scenario. But covetousness is actually the problem of the human heart. It's right back in the very beginning. You know, in the Garden of Eden, with this. Beautiful paradise environment where Adam and Eve had everything that they needed, but they wanted more. You know, it was like the tree of knowledge and good and evil, and they were attracted to the tree. and Eve looked at the fruit of the tree; she actually coveted that fruit. and The devil rode on that and said, "You can become like God if you eat that. You can actually become just like God. You can be in charge of your destiny. You can be the master of your destiny." and It appealed to her that covetous nature. And she reached up and took the fruit and immediately she became self-aware along with her husband, completely self-centered. And so this struggle began in the garden. Achan who coveted 200 shekels of silver, a wedge of gold and a beautiful robe from Babylon. The result of Adam and Eve's (coughs) disobedience was death. The result of Achan's covetousness was death. King David also struggled with covetousness. It can be linked with lust as well, but it was coveting another man's wife. And um, he had an affair. One night stand. Thought he could get away with it until the prophet came and he was found out. And God said, I'm going to forgive you but the sword is not kept apart from your house. And the story of David's family is a sad story of death. Very, very sad. The consequences of sin is extraordinary. And that the wages of sin is death. It will always kill something within us. And, and it has implications for our families. Judas Iscariot was pilfering the purse. There was a problem that he had in his heart. He actually loved money and he would pilfer the purse. He was the, tre- the treasurer of the band of 12, and something happened within Judas Iscariot when he went to the leaders and said, you know, I, 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 can, I, can, I can give you Jesus if you want, and they offered him 30 pieces of silver and to betray the Lord Jesus, and he did that, terrible act of betrayal, and Judas Iscariot died. Sad story. Ananias and Sapphira which is equivalent to the Joshua story here was very critical moment in the story of New Testament it's almost like old and new have a bit of a a similarity so you've got the breakthrough happening with Joshua going into the promised land you've got this guy who's actually doing something very wrong that throws the entire tribe the entire group of people at risk and the same thing happened in the New Testament with a couple called Ananias and Sapphira and people were bringing, selling houses and so on, bringing their money and laying it at the, the apostles' feet. And it was, uh, you know, holy sacrifices unto the Lord. And, but Ananias and Sapphira made a, a pact together. They wouldn't give all the money. They'd keep something for themselves. And they came and Peter said, is this the money? He said, it, it, it is. This, all, this is all the money. And Peter said, why have you lied to the Holy Spirit? And Ananias dropped dead. And everybody got, was fearful. And then Sapphira came in. A little, this is New Testament. And she came in and he asked the same question. Have you done this? And is this true? And she says, yes, it is. This is the money that we've given. Behold, the young man that's just carried out your husband is now at the door. He'll, they'll come in. And uh, Sapphira passed away. They say, "Graham, you know that's, that's that's extraordinary." But you see, corruption can come in and, and 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 cause such a terrible thing in God's amongst God's people. And God is a God of justice, is a God of truth, and He brought judgment upon Ananias and Sapphira. And so these these cases are exposing something of the struggle with covetousness. And uh, but the Apostle Paul in in uh, in Romans chapter 7 talks about his struggle with covetousness as well in chapter 7 verses uh, 7 and 8 and it says this what should we say then is the law of s- law sin certainly not indeed I would have not known what sin was except through the law for I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said do not covet but sin seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment produced in in me every kind of covetousness covetous desire the great story of the apostle paul was that he came face to face with jesus and jesus washed away his sin just love the the line what can wash away my sin nothing but the blood of jesus and he was delivered and set free but still struggled uh, with that issue of covetousness it's very, very confronting, his story of AI, the defeat of AI. It's interesting. We just dot-pointed here that the city of AI was had about 12,000 men. We know that from uh, chapter 8 because that's when they uh, went in and took, took that city. Uh, they sent in 3,000 soldiers thinking after Jericho was such an incredible win uh, that they would, it would just be a walkover. So they went in and uh, 3,000 soldiers went in. 36 men died. And uh, Joshua was devastated when they came back because Israel just came running. They were just running at the, uh, at, uh, away from Ai and all the soldiers there. So he was devastated. He fell face down on the ground. And God spoke to him and said, stand up. And, Israel, and God said, Israel has sinned. That's the summary of the story. Just recently, three weeks ago, actually, I got a pain in my chest. And um, thank you so much, everyone, for paying but praying, <laughs> not paying, <laughs> did cost a few bucks actually. And I woke up in the early hours of the morning and um, of the Monday morning, and this upper right hand chest was sort of giving me a bit of a, bit of a pain. And uh, my beloved wife said, We better go, come on, let's go and get this checked out. And uh, so there was, um, there was, uh, the symptoms were quite painful, they sort of gave away to me very clearly that something wasn't quite right. And symptoms are a very good thing, aren't they? It's the body's response to say, you better get something sorted because um, your, your body's not functioning well. And uh, I needed to get a diagnosis. So the doctor uh, had a look and he said, you've got a problem with your, your gall and it's, uh, you need to go and get an ultrasound. So they did the ultrasound and then they said, then you need some radical treatment. I said, what does that look like? He said, well, we need to remove it. And I said to my GP, can we wait a bit? <laughs> you know, I've got a lot on my plate. And he didn't even answer me. He just booked me in to see the surgeon. Needed radical treatment. <laughs> and then after the treatment was these, uh, you know, some, some steps for recovery, recovery steps. And I'll never be going to Alpha the following week and I'm nibbling away on some M&Ms. And Paul Grimend slapped me on the wrist. None of that, Graham. You can't have chocolate anymore. <laughs> and then across the table was Peter Bellis, and he wagged his finger and said, Mediterranean diet for you, Graham. <laughs> I said, you guys are spoiling my life. And Just by the way, just thanks so much for all your prayers. But I'm going to use that analogy because I couldn't help but think that in the process of helping Israel be set free from, from its struggle, they needed, there were some symptoms. There needed to be a, a good diagnosis and need to be also... Um, the, the third was to have radical treatment and, and some recovery steps. And the Bible talks about the symptom of this covetousness. That was the expressed in taking some things that actually belong to somebody else. The Bible says, as a person thinks so, he is. Aristotle said, we are what we repeatedly do. The symptoms arise out of the heart, and I don't know what symptoms there might be around you this morning in terms of your behaviour and what's going on, and maybe there is some things that have... finished business inside of you that happened some years ago and you still carry that deep-seated sense of sadness and sorrow. In fact, you may not have even forgiven yourself. And the wonder of the cross is that Jesus wants to wash away all our sin. And as we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So the symptoms of Achan's heart, was to express itself in stealing and taking something that didn't belong to him, forbidden things. Jeremiah 17 verse 9 says, the heart of man is deceitfully or desperately wicked above all things who can understand it. But the diagnostic process, verses 11 to 23, uh, was really a God thing. God did the diagnosis and he said uh, that, you know, God exposes the sin in verse 11. It says Israel has sinned, so it was really Acham, but it was a corporate sense of, of um, putting responsibility back on the entire people. Uh, God said, they have violated my covenant. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen. They have lied. God had already given a strong warning in the, in the previous pa- uh, passage to say, don't touch any of the devoted things. Don't go there. They are sacred to be given to the Lord. And then God explains the consequences, the outcome of an act of rebellion and defiance and coveting. You will not be able to stand against your enemies. You'll be, you, you will be made liable to destruction and i will not be with you anymore you will stand alone unless you destroy whatever among you has is devoted to destruction the third thing that god did was he called it out as the holy spirit does that in a very good way he gives the discernment steps consecrate yourselves present yourself tribe by tribe clan by clan family by family, and then right down to the individual. And Achan and his family stood. And Joshua said, Tell me, what have you done? And Achan explained, I've sinned. I saw, I coveted, and I hid. There's a lot of value in the stuff he stole, you know. I'm not sure if my mathematics... um, Uh, accurate, but 200 silver shekels is about 432 Australian dollars for a shekel of silver. You've got 200 of them, that's $86,400. You're throwing a wedge of gold, um, which is uh, about 50 shekels, and you've got about $40,000. You've got some total there of $126,400 plus a beautiful robe from babylon and you can understand how the guy can cover it and i think we're you know in our culture today gambling is a problem that many people have it's that covetous spirit i want something that really belongs to someone else maybe that's not the an accurate definition but god comes and he helps us understand the condition of our heart that's the function of the holy spirit to convict us of sin of righteousness what is right And judgment to come these three things that the Holy Spirit does he comes to us I'll never forget being in the the Solomon Islands and I didn't really know you know our hearts are really quite deceptive but we had a week of prayer with a group of leaders and and it was kind of quite hard actually to sit in the hot climate there in a in a sort of a, a little hut and But day one, we're incredibly fidgeted, and day two, a little bit more settled, but day three, I got totally nailed. And the Holy Spirit brought up some sediment in my soul, and I just started to cry, cry almost uncontrollably, because I got found out. You know, I didn't even know it was there. It was really about my time and not putting Jesus first. And it became, in his presence, something very, very bad. And so when we measure ourselves with the holiness of God, we can see how much we have fallen short. And there I fell on my knees in front of my eight pastor friends and just began to pour out my soul in confession and own up to what I had done wrong. And and, uh, very humbling. In Isaiah 66, it says, God looks to those who are contrite and humble and who tremble at his word. So that's the diagnosis. And then the radical treatment. it's It's hard for us to even comprehend this in our modern times, but they put uh, everybody got put to death, Achan and all his his animals and all the stolen goods. Hebrews ten verse thirty one says, it is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. I love the expression of God's character in the Old Testament. You know he hasn't changed. Um, Jesus has taken our sin and And uh, we are now, when we repent, we are forgiven. But in Exodus 34, it says, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, this is God, our God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of their fathers to the third and fourth generation. But the emphasis in this text is about God's mercy and grace and and his forgiveness that he's extending himself uh, to us all. The recovery steps. In chapter 8, it's quite remarkable. They went and they took so many soldiers in. After they had dealt with the critical issue, there there was a sense of confidence and they were able to take AI. And in this occasion, they were able to take all of the stuff the plunder i love uh, psalm 32. i'm going to read it to you because there was no, no one righteous no not one and this is david's story of his confession It's a beautiful expression of God's kindness and forgiveness. Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him, in whose spirit there is no deceit. Isn't that a beautiful thing in whose spirit there is no deceit? There's no double-mindedness, there's no hidden agenda, there's no deceitfulness there, that's what we want. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away. Through my groaning all day long, for day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Selah. Then I acknowledged my sin to you. Beautiful. And did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. Beautiful. Uh, We hear the heart of David here when he is acknowledging His sin, and he's openly confessing his wrongdoing, and the benefit was complete freedom. Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Last week, um, Andrew pointed us to uh, two Corinthians chapter ten, verses four and five i just want to briefly just drop into this again just to follow up a bit from andrew and make it very personal because he was talking about the external barriers and that's true but when we drop into the internal barriers i've drawn the little circles there around the heart and and we need to deal with behavior because we are what we repeatedly do our character is given away by how we live and how we think and behave and For Achan, it was an expression of what was going on in here that he stole those those things. I just wanted to drop into that text and in the old translation it says, for the weapons of of our warfare are not carnal, they're not human, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of, one, strongholds, casting down every imagination, things in the mind, And every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. This is a brilliant house uh, house cleaning sort of strategy. First of all, we need to identify what is the stronghold. Your behavior, my behavior will always give away what what the issue is. And it's important that we call it out for what it is. We don't let it sit. We don't let it kind of be lie dormant as you know uh, as an unconfessed thing. We deal with it. We call it out like David did in Psalm thirty-two. Whatever the stronghold is, if it's covetousness, if it's lust, if it's greed, if it's lying, whatever it is, and we acknowledge that before God, we bring it into the open. And a beautiful verse that, uh, in the book of Proverbs that I'll refer to in a a minute about complete release and healing. So step number two, once we identify with it, open up the door because that little door is in our heart. We just open it up and let Jesus come in to clean up that room. And he does that beautifully. If you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sin. Identify, you confess it and cleanse you from all unrighteousness, wrong living. Number two, imaginations. They're pictures in the mind or images, uh, memories, if you like, things that we've done that are recorded. It's like in the memory. It's in the imagination. And so I often say to people, if there's stuff in your mind and there are pictures there that that kind of have wounded you, just speak to those pictures and tear them down in Jesus' name. He will wash away. And he will remove that. The memory, we still have memory, but the pain of it has gone away. Amen? And number three, every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, these things that stand, that stop us from worshipping freely, we tear them down in Jesus' name. And we bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. In just a moment, we're going to have communion together. A very significant moment for us in, as God's family and communion is about asking the hard questions, how am I doing? How do I answer those seven questions of Tozer? Is there something going on in me that's sort of distracting me, deceiving me? Blessed is the man whose spirit there is no deceit. Blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. If I were to ask all of you today, I'm sure you would say, do you know, Brother Graham, I want to be pure. I want to walk with God, you know, just like Enoch did. That's my passion. I'd love to have that as an epitaph on my stone. Graham, walk with God. Would you? He's dealing with stuff, calling out the strongholds, tearing down the imaginations and also those high things that the enemy uses against us to stop us from reaching our full potential in him. I encourage you to process that and let Jesus set you free. Baptism is a very powerful moment where we step away from the old life, we confront those circles, and that will be something that we'll do for the rest of our days. We're going to listen to a very powerful story now of a guy called Shane Taylor. I pray that God would really use that to touch your life.
1: I got in with the wrong crowd. And I started to um, pinch cars, burgle houses, uh, become known, me and my friends become known as very high profile thieves, really. I used to carry big knives, uh, the, the big knives to the smaller knives down my waist. And I was the kind of person where if you pulled a knife out, I would use it. I uh, ended up stabbing someone in the head. I uh, he ended up um, st- stabbing someone just missing his heart and going through the top of his shoulder, uh, the, the top of his chest and his shoulder away. He dropped to the floor. And so I was on the run for two attempted murders. And then I was just, when I went to prison, I had such a hatred for the system. And I couldn't handle being told what to do, couldn't handle prison officers mucking me about. When I went out on association, I got the prison officer and I, uh, I stabbed them. And then this led to me going into maximum security prisons, being put on CSC, to where the feed you through a hatch in the door. There's no physical contact. So they have to have ride shields and ride gear on. Um, And that was my life for a long, long time, basically. And I I just was going from prison to prison, prison to prison. But then I ended up going to Long Larton in Worcestershire. And when I was in there, I ended up going in an alpha course. Never heard of an alpha course, didn't know anything. And I just remember walking in because they'd sent me down. I sat down on a chair and I thought, oh, no, it's a Christian thing. And we'd just go there every week and I would argue. And the pastor, um, I remember he came come to me. He said, right, I'm gonna say a few scriptures first before we pray. And one of them was, no one's righteous, not one. We all fall short of the glory of God. And then he said the verses about Jesus and explained a bit why he died on the cross for sinners and stuff. And then he said, pray. So I started praying and I said, uh, God, that God, if you're real, come into my life because I hate who I am. And Nothing happened, but then, as I was talking to the pastor, I started to feel this energy feeling in my stomach, and it started to raise up and raise up and raise up and raise up, and I just broke out into uncontrollable um, tears, and I just sobbed, <clears throat> and I just... Right there. because that was a change in my whole life. I knew God was real. Um, and no one will change that now. And then I remember <laughs> running on the wing, people clearly knew that I would become a Christian. So I actually helped them on another two alpha courses. And then I, um, I got released. I've been in a prison where I, because st- you would have thought that the prison where I stabbed the prison officers would have been the last prison to have me. But they were the first it's how god works the best thing for me is going in prisons and helping the lads in prison and and trying to tell them about god i've got five kids and they're my life Um, and what upsets me is because now i know um, that back then if i had the kids uh, they wouldn't have had a good upbringing and now they sit on the night and have bible studies with their dad um A Bible study with a dad, have a life. The beautiful, um, and my life. And is probably, my wife and my kids are the best gift. That, apart from the grace God's given me, is the best gift I've ever, he'll ever give me. Um, Didn't expect to cry like that. Recovered covered now.
0: Amen. <laughs> I tell you, how good is that? So wonderful. Yeah. He who conceals his sin does not prosper. But whoever confesses and renounces him will find mercy. Mercy.